Welcome, glad you guys are, uh, took the time to come out this morning to hear the Word of God together, to study, to praise. God said, don't forsake getting together, and all the more as the, the day approaches, the, the end. So it's good that we come together. It's necessary that we come together. So let's do this. Let's uh, get our Bibles out. And open them to Matthew chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up and the guys in the back will bring one to you. Matthew 23 will have a second place to mark. And that will be 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. Matthew 23, 1 Samuel 16. While you're finding your places, uh, make sure your cell phones are off. Take care of that. Let's pray, and we'll see what the Lord has for us today. Father, as we open your word, Lord, still pondering last week's message, desiring to be vessels that are filled with the fullness of God, Wanting to decrease more, Lord, so you can increase in our lives. Wanting to live genuinely, honestly, in simplicity, filled with love. Lord, we, we, we hate our own flesh. We hate sometimes the things that we do that we know we shouldn't do. And we cry out with the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from these things? We thank God that Jesus has saved us from these things and will continue to save us from these things. Father, we want to shine like lights in this dark world and we want to be salt. But Lord, we need you to do the work in us. And I pray that through your word, you would equip us to do the things you've called us to do. And we open our hearts, we open our ears, we open our eyes, we open our minds to you this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Matthew 23 is a continuation of where we were two weeks ago. There has been a a back and forth uh, challenges, I guess, between Jesus and these religious leaders of his day. They would ask him questions, trying to trap him, trying to catch him in his words, and then he would then ask them a question and, and that they couldn't answer. And we are just days away in the life of Christ from the cross. And so it's interesting that in Matthew 23 we have Jesus' last public sermon. What would you say, what would be the last thing you talked about before you died? Well, for Jesus, it's a warning against hypocrisy. And there's, we've all heard it. Well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. You know, and, and church, we, we do struggle with hypocrisy. But we're going to talk about what hypocrisy is, what it isn't, as we look through this passage. But here's the thing. You know, God doesn't like it either. It doesn't make him happy either. And we'll see just how he feels about it when we read this passage. Yeah, looking for the Holy Holy Jesus, for the Millie's 
Oh, okay. Holly Hodges or Millie's mom. I guess there's a, a child in need from the... Okay, great. Thank you. So, so when, you, when we see these things, hypocrisy, when we see these things and, and we go, you know, it just leaves a bad taste in our mouth, just know that Jesus feels the same way. And a lot of people use as an excuse to turn away from the church or to turn away from Jesus. Why would you turn away from Jesus when he feels the same way you do about it? And I, I often use the example, you know, sometimes you get cheated, sometimes you get wronged. Let's say it's, it's by a, a car mechanic or something. And I'm not saying that for any specific reason. But uh, just say a car mechanic wrongs you. He cheats you or, or something like that. You don't say, well, forget it. I'm never driving again. I'm selling my car and I'm going to walk everywhere. No, you don't do that. You recognize that, you know, there's good mechanics and there's bad mechanics and you happen to find a bad one and so you don't go back to that one. But it doesn't mean you sell your car. And a lot of people say, well, the church is full of hypocrites, so I'm not going to the church. Well, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Not every Christian is a hypocrite. There's some wonderful Christian folks that have given up their lives for the unsaved have given up their possessions, have given up money. and find, This church is filled with genuine, God-loving Christians who I have seen go out of their way to serve one another. And so be careful. But before we go into Matthew 23, I want to just set up a peg of truth. And that comes from... 1 Samuel 16. So if you've got that mark, let's go first to 1 Samuel 16. This is, again, what I would call one of those, uh, a peg of truth, meaning that this is a foundational truth about God that you and I need to constantly remember. Hopefully you have it marked. I'll get there myself. 1 Samuel 16. Most of you know, many of you know, the first king of Israel, the Israelites said, Hey, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. God was going to rule over them, but that wasn't good enough for them. So they chose a king, a guy named Saul. And he was a great big guy. I mean, he stood out, literally, he stood out among the crowd. He was a full head taller than everybody else. Handsome, big, the kind of guy you look at. They looked at him and they said, oh, that's a king right there. That's what a king's supposed to look like. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, kind of big king. And they chose him. And it turned out to be a real disaster. Because King Saul began to feel like he was pretty big, pretty important, pretty special. When at the beginning he'd been humble. And he began to operate in a way that didn't please God. And so God rejected him. And God said, now it's my turn to choose a king. So he said, Samuel, I'm going to send you to the house of Jesse to find the king of my choose. The people had their chance. They blew it. Now I'm going to choose a king. Many of you know the story. In 1 Samuel 16, we'll pick up in verse 4. Excuse me. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the, uh, to the sacrifice. 
<clears throat> then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Jesse's whole family comes to this party, you could say, this religious party. So it was when they came that he, Samuel, looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Samuel sees this first son of Jesse, and evidently this guy was something to look at. And Samuel sees him and goes, Lord, this guy, he's got, look at him, God. No doubt, this is the kind of guy you would choose. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly, there's no description per se of him. Uh, but we know that his appearance was beautiful or manly or firm or kingly. And Samuel says, that's the guy right there, no doubt. But verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is a peg of truth. You must understand that because we spend our whole lives worried about what people are saying, what people are thinking. And, and God, you know, people say, should I get a tattoo or not? God doesn't even see it. If you don't get it for God, because God's never going to see it. He's busy looking at your heart. So, we have all these questions about the outward appearance. And God is looking at the heart. And this is the difference between being a hypocrite and not a hypocrite. Is what's on the inside. Because two people can do the same thing for vastly different motivations, can't they? So, let's go back to Matthew 23. Because I just wanted you to see that. Because the issue with these Pharisees, remember, look back, we did it a couple weeks ago. In verse 5 of Matthew 23, all their works they do to be seen by men. Where is God looking? He's looking at the heart. What were they concerned with? What's on the outside? And look, know this too. If God sees the heart, where do you think he wants to work? The heart. If God is concerned with what's on the inside, you know, I prayed, Lord, you know, you can do a miracle. You can help a man who's got male pattern baldness grow hair. You know, you can do this. I know you can do that. But God says, Steve, I'm not concerned with that. What I'm concerned with is, is what's in your heart. And so where does God want to work? When, when these circumstances are happening, when something material is affected in your life, when something physical is happening to you, know this, that what God is looking at is the heart. What he's trying to do a work in is the heart. He's trying to change your character for good, for eternity, to form you into the image of Christ. That's what's really going on. That's what God's about. Though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day by day. That's where God is concerned. So when we see these Pharisees and we talk about hypocrisy, we, we kind of get a picture of these guys. They, they were all about themselves. It's not wrong to have a title. It's wrong to love a title. It's not wrong to be put in the best seat at a dinner. Not, not wrong to be the guest of honor at a, at a public uh, affair. It's wrong to want that seat. It's wrong to need that seat. 
And that was their issue. They were so about themselves and so about the power and the esteem and the honor that they got from their position had nothing to do with God and everything to do how they were perceived by people. So we, we get to this section here in, in chapter 23. And I'm going to go pretty quickly through it. But we're going to talk a little bit more about hypocrisy and then we'll just cruise right on through the history uh, that's, that's discussed here and, and explain some of the details. But you'll see some characteristics of hypocrisy that you will recognize. But first, in this little section, Jesus says, Woe to you eight times in, in this one chapter. Eight times, verse 13, 14, 15, 23, 25, 27, 28, 29. He says, Woe to you. What does that mean? And maybe when you were little, your sister or your brother broke something and you said, Oh man, wait till dad gets home. You're going to get it. That's like, woe to you. The difference is, you know, what, it's like a coming judgment, a coming condemnation. It's like, uh-oh. But the difference is, as a little kid, maybe you're thinking, Yeah, and I want to see you get it. Man, I'm going to watch while dad whoops you. Not Jesus. The woe in this passage is mixed with sorrow, mixed with grief. So Jesus is saying woe to you, but he's not happy about it. And and if you're an Old Testament student, you can go back to Ezekiel chapter 34, where this is sort of connected to, because there God said, woe to you shepherds of Israel. You fleece the flock. You take from the flock. You use the flock. You don't feed them. You don't help them. You don't fix up when, when their leg's broken, you just abuse them. And these same woes are for the same reason. These now, the shepherds of Israel, are coming under the same condemnation that, they did in the, that their, their fathers in the Old Testament did. So woe to you eight times. Hypocrite or hypocrisy is mentioned eight times. I could go through the verses, but it's like every verse. What is a hypocrite? Literally, it means actor. Fake, phony, pretender. That's what a hypocrite is. They're, make, they're someone who makes you believe that they're someone they truly are not. And when they go home, they're different. We love watching movies. And the best actors are the ones that make us believe that they are that person who they play on the screen. And if you meet them in person, it's sort of surprising. You say, you don't talk anything like you do on the screen. You know... They, they, they can learn a, a dialect. They can learn uh, how, to, how to act differently, different mannerisms to make you believe that there's someone who they really aren't. And that's what a hypocrite does. Now, what a hypocrite is not, we had a woman in our church uh, a couple of years back. She came to see me, said, I need to talk to you, Pastor. And I said, okay. So we made an appointment. And she came, and she came confessing. She said, I want to tell you that Saturday night, I go out and I party and I get drunk. And then Sunday morning I'm coming to church. And I know, it, 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 I know it's, you know, I don't know what to do about that. And she was obviously in distress over it. And I said, praise the Lord. Not that she was getting drunk Saturday night, but praise the Lord she was coming to church Sunday morning. Because I know that the closer she gets to Jesus, the farther she'll get from drunkenness. Or if she wants to continue in drunkenness, she'll, she'll, she won't be able to hang out with Jesus. It's just a conviction there. Of holiness. So I'm saying, praise the Lord, she's not a hypocrite. 
because she knows what's right. She wants to do what's right in her heart. She appreciates and loves God and wants to be set free from sin. But she fails, just like we do. We fall short. So a hypocrite is not someone who tries and fails. And see, that's what the, the world will call a hypocrite. They'll see, your, just, they'll see your life. They can't see your heart. You know, you went to work or, or you were at a family reunion and you lost it. You blew up. You made them, you know, you said some things you wish you didn't say. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. What makes you a hypocrite is if you live a compartmentalized life. Do you know that word, compartmentalized? It means your life has all these compartments and right now you're sitting in your religious compartment. But what you hear here, what happens here, what you say here has no bearing whatsoever on how you live out there. It's as if when you leave, everything, none of this ever happened. And, and so you like, you, you, know, you know people like that, they'll say, well, that's church, but this is business. And I've got to do in business what, what business decisions have to be made. But that, and there's no carryover. A hypocrite has no carryover in their life. There's certain things that happen, and that's church, and that's all that. But then when I'm in the world, I deal with people however I want. That's hypocrisy. You're pretending to be something here different than you are out there. One person said, he is a hypocrite who professes what he does not believe, not he who does not practice all he wishes or approves. If you are one that confesses your sin, then you're not a hypocrite. The hypocrite never even sees their sin, nor do they even care. Now, twice he calls them blind guides, blind guides. Guides. Now, if I'm taking a trip or if I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail or if I'm going somewhere unfamiliar, I don't want a blind guide. I want a guide who sees, who's been there, who can lead me. These Pharisees, Jesus says, you guys are blind guides. Can you imagine Jesus exposing them completely in this? Twice he calls them blind guides. Twice he calls them fools and blind now, the word fool in Greek is moros, which is where we get the word moron. He says, you morons and blind. He calls them blind one more time. And then to cap it all off, the icing, the, the cherry on top of the whipped cream, he calls them serpents and a brood of vipers. The harshest words we hear Jesus speak are not to the unsaved, are not to the lazy, they're to the hypocrites. Because hypocrisy is a living lie. It's one thing if you lie with your mouth, it's another thing if you lie with your life. And that's why Jesus is so uh, hard. Because hypocrisy is confusing, isn't it? It, it? it causes all kinds of trouble. So, with all of that background, we'll make our way through the passage, beginning in verse 13. You'll see these things unfold. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You actually nail the door shut to getting into heaven through all of your rules and rituals. You, a leader easily can become a misleader. 
And I see that, look, the, um, I see atheists doing this now. You can watch all kinds of YouTube videos where there are atheists misleading people. And, and carry, shutting up heaven, they, they hear that, and it's, it's someone who's got some, a PhD or a bunch of degrees and saying, well, here's how it is, and, and it confuses people and misleads them. And people are accountable for how they lead people. What they, you know, uh, we're going to be, there are those that are going to be accountable for uh, teaching in the schools that there is no God. Because not only do you not enter yourself, it's one thing if you don't go in yourself, if you want to reject God yourself, but when you want to teach others that there's no God, now you mislead them too. And that's why he says, you hypocrites, not only are you not going in, but you're, you're misleading others as well. And you're, you're actually closing the door on them. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you, on one hand, you devour widows' houses... And for a pretense, or you can write next to that, show, for a show, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So on one hand, they're supposed to be compassionate toward widows and orphans and supposed to care for them. But instead, they were abusing those that they were supposed to be caring for. And not only that, at the same time, then they would pray these, to make everything look spiritual, they would pray long, flowery prayers. You know, they would expect, the, the, what people saw when they saw them was, wow, wow. But what God said when he sees is, whoa, whoa. What does God see when he looks at you? What, is, what does he see when he looks at your heart? You know, that, that I can't see your heart. Your neighbor can't see your heart. But this is, this, if you're scared of hypocrisy, if you're scared of being a hypocrite, then live your whole life in the presence of Jesus Christ. He's with you at work. He's with you on the ball field. He's with you on vacation. It's like, okay, we're on vacation this month, and so I'm going to forget about God. I'm just going to be on vacation and how I do things here. Nobody I know lives in, in North Carolina. So here, I can go out to the bars, I can get drunk, I can party, and no one's going to know. God is there. And I'm not saying that to scare you, just the reality is if you want to decide whether or not you're a hypocrite, it's when you're in North Carolina on vacation, are you willing to do things you wouldn't do here because other people are watching? But if you live your life in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ all the time, then it's his presence that is affecting the two. He's who you're trying to please all the time. doesn't matter who's watching. What if we could put cameras in your house? When I do marriage counseling, I say, I'd love to put a camera in your house and just watch and see. Maybe it would change some things. So you will receive greater condemnation. They were, they were, they were leaders. They were more responsible. They knew more. They had more knowledge. And to whom much is given, much is required. So, we go on. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte or one convert. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So they were very zealous about making converts 
not converts to God, but converts to being Pharisees. They were creating people like them. And the church can do this, right? We do this. We're very good at this. We're very good at creating hypocrites with our rules and our regulations and our, and our rituals. We say, hey, oh, you got saved. Okay, now you need a haircut. Now you got to go to the tattoo removal place and you got to wear some nice clothes. Oh, that's what it means to be saved. Okay. And we, get, we hit the outward stuff. And we focus on that. And we create hypocrites. Okay, if that's what I'm supposed to do, that's what I'll do. We're good at that. And that's what they did. They, they weren't leading. It's like, look, you don't, I appreciate that you invite people here to Calvary Chapel. But a person can come to church and never come to God. And what we want to create converts to is not Calvary Chapel. We want to create converts to Jesus Christ. And so we, we don't want to fall. That, that's a hypocrite. What are you hypocrites? You, you, you get people saved, but you save them to your way of thinking, to your way of living. And matter of fact, you make them better at it than you are. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Morons or fools and blind for which is greater, the gold of the temple that sanctifies the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And another example he gives, verse 18, whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools or morons. <laughs> Could you just imagine being there? The, the Pharisees, their jaws must be on the floor, you know, because everybody else is so impressed. And he's going, you morons. Excuse me? I mean, this is... I don't think we can appreciate... It'd be like showing up at, at the... Uh, you know, I, I want to be careful not to step on any toes. But, um, but, oh well. It'd be like showing up at some meeting of, of religious... Uh, you know, a religious conglomeration of all the people dressed in the... You know, the hats and the clothes and the garbs and going, You morons, you've missed the whole point of it. And... <laughs> I'll explain this in a minute. Whoever swears by the altar does nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater the gift of the altar. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it, and by all things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it, and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits on it. Now, to understand this, uh, you have to understand that they had this way of making vows or promises. I could make a promise to Lee here sitting in the first row. And I could say, Lee, I swear by the temple that I'm going to do that for you. Now, I would swear by the temple if I really didn't think I was going to do it. Because to swear by the temple wasn't really a binding oath. Meaning no one really took it seriously. But in their thinking, if I swore by the gold of the temple, because they were all into money, then that was more serious. So they had this, this hierarchy of oaths. But what Jesus is saying is, you morons, all of it belongs to God. So whenever you may, so Jesus would say, it's better not to make an oath. But they had taught, God never said this, but this was their teaching. So they taught people to make these oaths that were, some were more binding, some were less binding, and that you could break them. You could, they were teaching people how to lie. Well, it's okay, Lee, if I, I told you I'd give you 50 bucks, but I only said, I swear by the temple. So, sorry, I don't have it. But now if I swore by God, I had to keep it. 
But he's saying, anytime you make an oath, whether it's the temple, because it's God's temple, whether it's by the gold, it's God's gold, whether it's by the altar, it's God's altar. It's God that makes that altar special. So they were just, they were slick, weren't they? So we have to be careful about being slick about the way we operate. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, that's very funny. You don't, I don't know if we understand that, but that's, Jesus just used really good humor. Like, unlike the humor you're used to here, Jesus uses good humor. And this is funny. So what's he saying? The Pharisees paid meticulous attention to the details of their rituals. I was in Ukraine a number of years ago, and we were coming out of this, uh, we were in a, a monastery, and we came out, it was an Orthodox monastery, and just at the time, a service was happening, and the exit door from the place where we were touring came out right next to the exit door from the little cathedral that was there, and it was, so we come out, and they were, they had the censers, and they had the parade going on, and so I come out, and I'm looking around, and I didn't see these guys coming, and this priest just about pushed me out of the way. Because this, this was the, the ritual they had, it had to come through this direction. So rather than say, um, excuse me, sir, you know, you're standing in the way of our ritual, he just kind of pushed me out of the way. Like, man, you idiot, we're coming through here. I was like, excuse me, you know. I didn't know what I was doing. But see, there's this meticulous tension to, attention to detail at the expense of the things that really matter. Mercy. What if I was laying there with a broken arm, you know? Would he have stopped his ritual to come over and see if I was okay? You know, if we're in the middle of a prayer meeting and, and someone, something, an accident happens outside, we go, oh, no, but we're praying. We must keep praying. We can't. No, we go and we see if everybody's okay. That's mercy. You know, a couple years ago, I was doing, you know, we were sharing communion, and I think I, I misspoke. You know, you guys know I never do that, right? I misspeak all the time. So I said, I think I said, uh, you know, I used the, the cup first before. The, and I was like, ooh, he said cup before bread. Can he do that? Does it count if he does that? I mean, we can share communion. We can get so into, this is the ritual. This is the way it's got to be. And yet we can sit here with unforgiveness in our heart toward our brother. And worry more about, did he say bread first or cup first? Did, it, did we do it the right way? And they would count, their attention to detail was so important that of their crops they would tithe and tithe just means one tenth that's all tithe means a tenth so one out of every ten would go to god and so they were so meticulous about it that if you had a little herb garden and you had some dill or you had some little seeds some cumin seeds they would even go to the extent of being so detail oriented that they would count out nine little seeds for them and one for god Nine little seeds for them, one for God. And he says, that's fine if you want to do that, but don't do that and neglect the things that really matter. Folks, please, don't let your rituals get in the way of doing what's really important in your life. What's God? See, you can't count out mercy. You know, one piece of mercy, two pieces of mercy. That's the thing about legalism. 
That's the thing about rules, is rules can be for us a maximum. You can say, you can come and you can tithe. You can tithe, you can give 10% of your income. You can put it in the box and you can walk out there and you can see your neighbor that has a financial need and you can go, well, I gave at the office. I gave my 10% at church, did my duty. When meanwhile, the word of God says, how can you see your brother in need and shut up your heart from him? But I've already tithed. But what does mercy require? What does mercy say? Does that make sense? That's why I don't teach New Testament tithing. I think the New Testament example is to give cheerfully and give mercifully and be ready to meet urgent needs. And whatever that requires, if that requires 50%, so be it. Truthfully, you know what it requires? 100%. 100%. The funny part of this is, is he says, blind guides... They would strain out a, a gnat and a camel were both unclean, the uh, gnat and unclean insect, you know, Leviticus chapter 11, a camel was an unclean animal. They couldn't eat these things. And so the, the gnat was the smallest one and the camel was the biggest. And he said, you guys, when you, when, you, when you would have your wine, you would pour it over a cheesecloth. So just in case there was a little gnat in your glass of iced tea, you wouldn't accidentally drink it and become unclean. Because gnats drink blood, and they were prohibited from drinking blood. And so by eating the gnat, you would have the blood. And so they would strain out that, ooh, got to pour the iced tea over top and make sure there's no gnats or any bugs in it. But then he says, you gulp down a camel. Which is really funny. How do you eat a camel? You know, one bite at a time, I guess. I wonder how camel tastes. I know how they smell. (laughs) Well, we need to keep moving. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 25, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Again, they were more worried with which part of their, their lives. They were more worried with how they looked than how they really were. Please. When... What I love about this church is you guys have been very gracious to the unsaved. And I love it because I keep inviting the unsaved. And you keep inviting the unsaved. And sometimes the unsaved come in and, and they come right out of unsavedville. And they're, they've lived a hard life. They've lived a life of drugs or they've lived a life of, of difficulty. They've lived a life of struggle. And we say, come in. And then please, friends, I'm asking you as your pastor, represent Jesus well by not getting focused on how they smell or how they look or what they're wearing, if their clothes are dirty or they have sweatpants on or whatever it is, forget about that. What we want to see is God do a work on the inside. Because when God does a work on the inside, guess what happens? The outside changes. Maybe not the way you'd want it to. But it does. It has a, the inside affects the outside the opposite is not true. You can put a monkey in a suit and send him to church and that doesn't make him born again. Right? Does the outside affect the inside? No. Does the inside affect the outside? Absolutely. Absolutely. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's as if you have no law in your life. It's as if you have no morals. You come to church, cheat people, steal from people, abuse people, hypocrites. Uh, they would whitewash the tombs, they would, uh, especially around the Passover, because if you stepped on a grave, that would make you unclean. You couldn't celebrate the Passover. So you had to be careful where you walked. Now, it's interesting. A local church, uh, Beaverdam Baptist, has a, a memorial inside the hallway of their church. Did you know that? There's a guy that used to come to church, but he didn't go in the building. He would sit on his horse outside the window of the church. And when he died, they buried him right there where he used to sit on his horse and listen from the window to the preacher. This is in 1800s, I suppose. So they put his... But then they wanted to expand the church. And so they decided they would expand around him. So if you walk down the hallway in Beaverdam Baptist Church, there's a grave right there that if you were a Pharisee, you'd have to walk around it or you'd become unclean. So that to make sure they avoided it, they'd whitewash. And he says, you Pharisees, you're like that. You look good on the outside. You're all clean and, and tidied up. But inside, you're full of corruption. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Uh, we wouldn't have acted like them. But yet, who were they going to crucify? The ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ, God himself. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. I mean, everything they did, you're going to do even more. I mean, they killed the prophets, but you're going to kill the son of God. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and, scri and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. This is... Speaking of all of the apostles were killed. Peter was crucified upside down. And some of them you were scourged in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. From A to Z, from the first prophet to the last prophet, you guys killed them all. And all of that guilt is now culminating in... in the murder of, of the Son of God and all of those that represent Him. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come up upon this generation. And verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is where we get that grief part of the woe, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible, I think. And, and I think that God would say that to maybe someone here today. You know, how long I have wanted to gather you. You have kept me at a distance when if you would accept me, I, I'm not here to, to, to pick on you. I'm here like a mother hen. I want to protect you. Yeah, can you do you get that picture of a mother hen with her chicks when she clucks? They come running. When there's trouble and she sees it, she gives them a signal and they come running and she hides them under her wings. She protects them. She covers them. And Jesus says, you know, I wanted to be like a mother hen to you guys. You know, he's been like a lion here, right? He's been tough. 
But now at the end he's saying, I, I wanted to be, I didn't want to be tough. I didn't want to have to say these things. He loves those Pharisees. He loves those hypocrites. And he wanted to gather them. But why are they still hypocrites? Because they rejected him. They rejected God. And rather than, so is, again, I don't know who's here today. I don't know all of you guys. But maybe one of you, maybe one of you is hearing that God wants to gather you under his wings like a mother hen. To protect you, to love you, to save you, to rescue you. Are you willing? Are you willing? Maybe someone here is a hypocrite. And hearing this, going, you know what, maybe I need to just be who I am. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this was their final chance. And for everybody, there will be a final chance. No one knows when that day comes. So as we close, um, I really appreciate your, your, I know it's hot in here and, and it's hotter for the Pharisees, I think, that day than it is for us today. So uh, I want a genuine, I want a genuine life. You? I want to be able to not, to, to be free to say, you know what, look, I'm a work in progress. The Lord is not done with me yet. And I want to be able to be honest about that. And you too should be able to be honest. If you struggle, if right now you come and, and you're I- involved in alcoholism, it's okay to say, hey, I'm involved in alcoholism and I, and I know that that's not good or right. Play, pray for me to be freed from that. Hey, we'll be the first to pray with you. And to pray for you and to pray with you and to, to lift you up for the Lord. So, Phil... Where's Phil? Come on up. If there's anything that you want to speak of or or discuss at the end of the service, if the Lord is working on your heart, just come on down after the service is over. Um, Today could be the day of salvation. Couldn't think of a better day to give my life to Christ, to give your life to Christ than, than today. Amen? Amen.